life is complicated. The truth is not. What does that mean? It, it means there's a lot of complexity to the stories that we tell ourselves and, and the agendas that are floating around that we're chasing or, or that are trying to chase us. But the truth is really simple, and if we ask ourselves who we are and what matters to us, and if we boil it down, it's it's kind of like um, if, if there's been a period in your life where you've ever been dating and you have a list, a checklist for the person that you want to meet, it's fascinating how most of us start with a ginormous checklist, and then we go, well, there's 80% here, but 20% is missing, so I'm going to go for an 85 or a 90. I really want to get closer to the whole thing, and and that's crazy because – there's always going to be that thing where you go, hey, you know what? They just weren't right because they didn't get the whole checklist. And the truth is, what do we really care about? Probably more than anything, somebody that we enjoy being with. And so it's simple. The truth is simple. If we if we try to use our ego or our brain too often, it screws up the process of understanding the truth. So our guts will tell us the truth and our instincts tend to be pretty right if we'll listen to them and stop listening to everybody else's stuff. Hey there. You're dialed into Reboots, featuring stories about people who have been forced to start over in life or in business, all walks of life, anonymous or named, high profile or low down, stories with heart, soul, and grit. Because knowing and sharing our stories is essential for living a life of joy, experiencing healthy relationships, and impacting the world around us in a positive way. Here's your host, Tracy Winchell. Episode R027 features a man who got kicked out of college because he nearly put the campus bookstore out of business. Man, that is a most college student's dream, right? And then the same guy, he earned and lost a $20 million real estate portfolio all before celebrating his 30th birthday. Damien Lupo says there is a reason women and men like him can earn so much money so quickly and then lose it just as quickly. It's because, he says, young people are fearless and they have no idea what they don't know, but that when ego, significance, and prestige drive the work, a foundation built on hedonism and consumption cannot last. Damien has authored eight books and counting. He's on a mission to become a millionaire once again, only this time he's not counting dollars, he's counting people. Damien wants to help a million human beings experience what he calls freedom from financial bondage. Armed with a blend of yoga, martial arts training, a passion for teaching, and a wake of spectacular failures in his past, I won't be surprised if and when Damien achieves his new million mark. In this conversation, Damien introduces us to turns of phrase like lethal kindness, smoking hopium, and plutonium-infused people. I am totally stealing this one. Hey, Damien, thanks for inviting us into your life. I really appreciate it. Hey, Tracy, it's good to be here with you. I'm checking out your website, and um, you've done a lot of things in your life. Uh, tell tell me about all these hats you wear. They're, they're called destructo hats. It means I've I've messed up 
many many things and that's that's the nature of going out there and and doing things and it's there's a saying that we've probably said or heard and it's that you know I'm going to try this thing and I actually hate that word try because it means we're not doing it because when you do it, it doesn't mean it's going to work but the idea of trying is really a lack of commitment and so I've just done a lot of things and probably the majority of them have not worked it's just been an amazing lesson in learning so you've the winners and the and the losers or you have the winners and the learners and I've had a lot of learners not necessarily that many winners a few but mostly a lot of learning which creates the growth and that's kind of my story is massive learning is is it fair to say that you live a portfolio life uh interesting way i, I hadn't really thought about that i think that's probably a, a good way to look at it i think the portfolio was way too diversified for a long time and it was very scattered because i was trying to do too many things and what i find is that the, the narrower my focus on a few core things the the more free I am and the more grounded I am. So the portfolio has gotten way more focused and way more simplified in the last couple of years. Tell me about that. What what can you talk about uh, business-wise in your portfolio? Well, I mean the, the work that I'm doing now is is based on something different than it was 10 years ago. 10 years ago, it was I would chase anything that would produce money or had the potential of, of producing money. And now what I'm chasing is the impact. So it's not a billion dollars like it was before. It's a billion people. The, the, and, and, and so I think that's my definition for what the new billionaire is. It's not about the billion dollars. It's not the IPO that you took. It's that you've got a mission of impacting a billion people. I'm starting off, my first mission is to free a million from financial bondage. So anything I do has to be in alignment with that. And it, it's really fascinating. Once you have a mission, then you're able to say no very easily without regret for almost everything because it doesn't fit with your mission. If you don't have a mission, shiny pennies and, and fast running squirrels catch your attention and you get you get a massive portfolio of chaos. So the work I do now, whether it's in finance or the coaching or writing books or even in the dojo and teaching martial arts, it really has to do with that financial bondage and freeing people from it so that they can truly live free and present. Wow. It seems to me like whether whether you're wearing your hat as, as a martial arts instructor, an author, or in real estate teaching, um, all of this stuff seems to me that you've got to be mentally tough. Does one feed the other there? I, I think they um, they do, and there is definitely a synergy back and forth. It's kind of funny because I'll go to the dojo, and I'm, I'm actually learning from my students uh, about things that I'm going to use to teach finance. And, and ultimately, it does come down to that mental toughness. Uh, one of my mentors and friends, Steve Siebold, talks about mental toughness a lot. And and the the things that make you mentally tough, that you stop connecting so much with what people think about you. And really funny thing is most people aren't thinking about you anyway. They're thinking about themselves. But if when you let go of, of what you know caring about what people think, it's it's truly freeing for you to focus on what matters for you and, and for your contribution in life, which if you can focus on the contribution, it tends to be the driver that will help get you to all the other five human needs instead of the, the thing that we tend to focus on, which is security and significance, which tend to keep us in a, in a box, and they're really driven by ego more than anything that matters. That's pretty big stuff. How did you get to this point through – a reboot, or were you born this way? What? How, how did? How did you get to this enlightened state, Damien? I was born cold and and um, 
you know, and, and crying, uh, just like everybody else. It, I, I, I am where I am because I went through a process of, of meltdown, like an unbelievable meltdown process. And it was important for me to go through that where I had built up, built up a business, built up what anybody, any, anywhere would say was success, where I had a $20 million portfolio of real estate that I had built from scratch. I don't come from money. I come from a military family. And, and building that up and then losing that and then the process of figuring out what the heck just happened. And what I realized after this happened, the first thing I had to do was acknowledge the truth. And I think that's a huge piece for any reboot, reinvention, any type of redo. We've got to be willing to own it and we have to be willing to say this was all me. And it doesn't matter really what happened. If we're not willing to say this was all me, then guess what's going to happen again? Same thing maybe a different form, but it's going to happen again. So we, we have these experiences. Losing $20 million is a powerful seminar. It's unbelievable how much you can learn from a process of you know, not, not only le- losing the money, but losing the identity. Because when we lose money, and that's been our major focus, our, our self-worth is really screwed up because it tends to be, be equal to the net worth. So you go from positive millions to negative millions, then you start asking a really tough question like, why am I even here? I'm kind of worthless. And, and that's a very dangerous space to be in. So part of the reinvention and reboot was, was to say, okay, what am I? Who am I? And, and I realized I'm a teacher and I didn't like the person I was before. So I had to figure out what my values were and really kind of do brain surgery, kind of neuroplasticity where I was rewiring and driving from a different vantage point. It wasn't the ego. It was a mission and it was values that were driving things. And then it got really simple and, and fairly easy at that point. Oh, the word simple takes me back to uh, a quote of yours. Life is complicated. The truth is not. What does that mean? It, it means there's a lot of complexity to the stories that we tell ourselves and, and the agendas that are floating around that we're chasing or, or that are trying to chase us. But the truth is really simple, and if we ask ourselves who we are and what matters to us, and if we boil it down, it's it's kind of like um, if, if there's been a period in your life where you've ever been dating and you have a list, a checklist for the person that you want to meet, it's fascinating how most of us start with a ginormous checklist, and then we go, well, there's 80% here, but 20% is missing, so I'm going to go for an 85 or a 90. I really want to get closer to the whole thing, and and that's crazy because – there's always going to be that thing where you go, hey, you know what? They just weren't right because they didn't get the whole checklist. And the truth is, what do we really care about? Probably more than anything, somebody that we enjoy being with. And so it's simple. The truth is simple. If we if we try to use our ego or our brain too often, it screws up the process of understanding the truth. So our guts will tell us the truth and our inst- instincts tend to be pretty right if we'll listen to them and stop listening to everybody else's stuff. Let's back up to the part where you lost $20 million. That's pretty interesting. Walk me through, first of all, the making of the $20 million and, and in reading up on you, you did that in your 20s and then you lost it. That's a heck of a lifetime in your 20s. Walk me through that. Yeah. Uh, the adjective that I would use generally is not interesting. It's painful. <laughs> but it is an interesting story. And in the in the middle of it, it was it was painful. Now it's more interesting because we can look back and dissect it. And, and the uh, the scar tissue is, is kind of uh, softened a bit. But there's still the lessons there. So I, I basically naively, which is really great about being 20, you think 
anything's possible. You can build the Great Wall of China in a week. You, you know, you're pretty certain that you're you're invincible, and and you know everything. So, so yeah. So the idea was I was going to go out and create real estate, and I was going to create a real estate portfolio and make a bunch of money because at the time I, I was selling insurance. And here's here's what's really crazy. The the most successful agents were making about a million bucks a year in my area in Arizona. And when I looked at that, I said, a million bucks a year is not enough. I need a lot more. So where can I make that? Hey, real estate. And and so I went to a seminar. I read a book by Robert Kiyosaki called Rich Dad Poor Dad. I went to a seminar where he was speaking and I bought everybody's tapes. And I mean literally tapes. This is 20 years ago when tapes were the thing. So I had like an extra suitcase of tapes. And I just surrounded myself with all that influence of people that were teaching things that were not mainstream and they weren't really the academic uh, lessons that we would get at, at universities. So I said, oh, that makes sense. I'm going to go do what they said, and, and I did. And there's a there's a value in that naivety. It's, so it seems almost nuts to create that kind of wealth in our 20s. The fascinating thing is I think it's easier in our 20s because we don't have all the the lessons and the the, the things that make us hesitate when we get into our 30s and 40s and 50s. So I just did it because I thought it was all true. And 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 you know I, you, things happen pretty fast when you don't have any limiters in your brain. So you, I think one of the keys to creating wealth or rebooting is to go into a state of naivety in a way to where anything is possible and you don't have those rules or the experiences of pain that make you hesitate. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure where I want to go with that because you just blew my mind, Damien. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, the, 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 here, here's the next thing that happens when you do something where there's this – there's a lot of stuff happening in your 20s, including buying a Ferrari and having an American Express black card. These are very shiny objects, by the way. They're, it makes you feel really valuable because of the significance and the success. The problem is – you may not have anything that's fulfilling, and and the significance, if it's driven by ego, is is probably the universe. Um, it's probably a warning sign to the universe. And and in my case, in 2008, the universe said you're on the wrong track. So it crushed me, and it's because I built a a, a business and a portfolio that didn't have a foundation based on anything other than hedonism and consumption. So I needed to have a reset just to figure out who I was. Otherwise, I would have never – like success is a terrible lesson and success can actually turn you into a monster and the person I was, was, was wasn't about contributing as much as I, I would have liked him to have been. It was about projecting my success, proving it to somebody else and, and getting as much as I could. So it, it almost killed me when I lost the money. I mean it, I spent a week at the Mayo Clinic and, and I see a lot of people, especially young people – going down this track and more and more women are doing this too where they're driving so hard for success and the question is why i mean what and, and a lot there's a lot of fear that's that's being built into into society and and it's not it's not for something that deeply matters other than they don't want to be broke and and maybe they want to compare themselves because what do we do now? We compare ourselves to everybody on Facebook and the Facebook feed. It's like the highlight reel that we compare to our real life and we say, gosh, my life sucks and all these people's lives are better. So there's we, we've got to take a step back and sometimes the universe pushes us into a hole to get that presence and that's what's happened to me. So we don't want to be broke but we also don't want to be broken and I don't think you get out of this life without being broken, right? 
I, I agree with that. There's the, the, the whole process of, of creating is also a creation of messiness and, and it, it creates that there's a, there's a process of stubbing your toes and bleeding. If you're going to be, if you're going to be out in the real world, there, there is a process of, of losing and learning. And, and this is one of the, the things that's terrible about our education system. It says, if you make a mistake, then you're a failure, that you're a loser. And the truth is the real world is full of people that are massive successes that lose more than they win. And, and, and so why are we teaching people that getting three out of 10 wrong makes you average and getting half right makes you a failure? The truth is you get half right in the real world, in business or in anything you're doing, you're a gazillionaire with an impact on millions. So we have to really embrace that and it's, that's sort of the pathway into a fulfilled life is stepping into the unknown and, and being willing to make mistakes and realize that's the learning and growth process. In a few minutes, I know you've got some some tangible advice and encouragement for those who are in the throes of a reboot. I mean, it's hard to imagine a loss more spectacularly painful than what you've endured. And and thank you for your transparency for sharing how hard it's been. But before we go there, um, let's talk about. Um, your your childhood. Did you always know you wanted to create new things or make new money? Um, I mean, you're you're a black belt. Uh, is is that something that you've always been involved with? Well, what what I've always been involved with is pushing back when I, I've been told no. And and it's it's funny as a kid I was told no we don't have any money and 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 really it was like this weird messaging that we don't have enough money to even pay for food so how do you think we're going to pay for these things that you want and I remember hearing that and I just didn't buy in or I think a lot of people buy into the messaging from either their parents or from people around them and so I started a business and hired my parents because I wanted to play video games and I said I need I want to play. If I start a business where I'm buying them in bulk and selling them one off, I can play them in the middle and it solves my problem and I don't have to buy into your your scarcity mindset. So it's it's always been about pushing back on what is true for somebody else if I didn't believe in it. And I think we really have to ask the questions, you know, ask the question, what do we believe in? And if it's not the same as what we're being told, perhaps we need to go around and create something new. Perhaps we need to break the system. And, and be in integrity with, with what our beliefs are instead of just accepting other people's stuff. You see this a lot where it's like people are zombies. They're just walking through life, tiptoeing safely to death's door, and it's sad. And that is, that is not why we're here. It's not to play it safe, and, and it's not to show up at the end and go, dang, I really had so much that I wanted in my life, and I don't have time. Tell me about your video game business and hiring your parents. That is fascinating, Damien. This is what you do. You, you, you create solutions to problems. And yeah, at the time, I literally just wanted to play video games. The, the, the funny part is it sort of led to all sorts of other problems that, that, or other solutions that I, I created to solve problems. Like one example, when I was in college and I've been, I've been to four, I was kicked out of two and one of the schools that I was uh, asked to leave, I started a, a bookstore 
And it was kind of the same thing. I had a problem. Like video games, I wanted to be able to pay for books and get books, and they were expensive. And the bookstore was ripping everybody off with with what they were doing. And I said, I can do a better job. So I bought and sold books, and they um, my little business put the bookstore on campus out of business. And the the president called me in and said, you got to shut down. You can't have this business. I said, why not? And he said, because they're going to leave. I said, who? He said, the bookstore. And I said, well, that's their problem. They're not competitive. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm giving a service, and it's, it's saving kids a lot of money, including me. And he said, well, you either shut down or we're going to shut you out of school. And I said, uh, I'll be gone in three days. So I finished up my business, paid for school in a week, and I was gone. And I realized that was not where I was supposed to be. And I think if I had known anything at 11, I would have realized that college was not my path anyway because I was doing things different. I wasn't looking for a $5 a week allowance. I was looking to create something of value with a lot more people involved than just my parents giving me a handout. We've talked a little bit about your your take on failure. And um, is, that a, is that an important component of, of mental toughness is knowing – that it's okay if you fail because you gave it a shot? Or do we go back to what you originally said, which is you don't like the word try? How do you how do you thread that needle in knowing you might fail if you try this and accepting failure and yet just laying it all out there when you come up with an idea? Well, the, the first thing we have to decide is are we going to look at failure as a noun or a verb? You know, is is failing something that we do, or is failure something that we are? And to me, if you want freedom, failure is what's required, and it it means failing into it. It's there's, I think it's John Maxwell, failing forward, and this whole idea that to move forward, to grow. And it's funny because somebody the other day said, "So I'm," I said, "How's it going?" They said, uh, "Good. I'm moving forward." And I said, "All right, interesting. Are you going in the right direction?" You're moving forward into what? Maybe you're going the wrong direction, 180 degrees in the wrong way. And and so really my question now is what are you messing up right now that you're learning from that's growing you, that's going to make you totally different, and it's going to expose a deeper part of who you are? That's that's the process. It does it. And what it means is when you fail, you're winning because you're growing. And and so I don't think in fact I'm certain there's no way to be a winner without failing. One of the most dangerous things you can ever do in investing or in business is get involved with somebody that's never fallen on their face and had a bankruptcy or a wipeout. I generally don't invest with people that have not lost money because either they're lying or they're too new and they don't have the emotional intelligence and the mental toughness to actually deal with things as they come. I want to know somebody's gone through it and and that they can get out the other side. What advice or encouragement do you have for someone who has taken everything they have, whether it's $5,000 or $30,000, to start a business and they're not sure it's going to make it? Well, here, here's what I will tell everyone. I've got a friend that is in, in the citizenship um, international business of helping people get citizenship to basically have access to, to the United States. And there are people all over the world that have literally nine figures. I'm talking 100 million plus that cannot get into the United States. And, and there's a reason I'm bringing this up because these people would trade places with you. And if you think it's about 
the money or losing the money, let me tell you, you're sitting you, – this is the lucky sperm club being in in, in, in the Western uh, hemisphere in the United States. It's not about money. It's about your ideas. It's about your word. And so if you have $30,000 and you're about to go out there, OK, so if you lose it, what does that mean? It means that people like me are going to say, great, what did you learn? And we're probably going to be more likely to back you on your next thing whether you have any money or not. If you're afraid of losing your money, it doesn't matter how much money you have, you're always going to be by yourself. But if you are willing to go through the process of going all in, which means not trying, but going all in, and, and you understand what that's like, and you're willing to go in even if you've lost your all your money, you'll find a fascinating thing where there's all this support that shows up. It's like it's providence, and it comes out of nowhere, but it's because of the commitment. So you have to be willing to put all your chips in. And you'll find there's no there's a massive amount of support throughout the process, both in that and ultimately for your next thing. So that's kind of the key to to really creating something. It's being willing to go all in. Thirty thousand, three hundred thousand, three thousand, thirty bucks. It's 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 who it shifts you into becoming that's most important. Hmm. We got three were three terms uh, that I've pulled off your your site that I, I want you to reflect on, if you don't mind. Um, what is lethal kindness to you? Lethal kindness. Uh, I was in Japan a couple months ago, and one of the things that I found there, I was doing some training in martial arts, and I was also taking a, some time to think about the, the past year and the, and the coming year with my best friend. And and you find that there's this unbelievable kindness and it's almost it's all, there's almost a danger to it. There's there's this this um, it's like a samurai uh, kindness. And and it's fascinating because there's almost no defense to ultimate kindness. So there's this lethality to it and you can cut through almost anything with this kindness. So I would say that if you focus on kindness and, and you create those connections to people through that kindness, you've almost got this lethal force that's second to none. And so what's the focus? Is it going to be viciousness where you're going to get revenge and tension? And this goes back to the martial arts I teach, getting rid of the tension. You go into a relationship and the tension goes away and you're able to connect. That's really what it is to be kind. It's to be able to do inflict damage, but you're not. You're going into a space of kindness, which opens things up for you to actually connect with people and where the power is. So maybe you're not inflicting pain on another human being. You're inflicting damage on the barrier between you and that other human being. Yeah, the, and the funny part is about that the inflicting damage on barrier is is really about letting go. And when, when I do work with people, it's the first thing I'm working to find, whether it's financial or martial arts or anything, it's to find the tension points. It's it's the it's the place where stuff is stuck, and and just being present and mindful of that space or that point, whatever it is, and then starting to consciously un- unlock it is fascinating. So there's a great book called Power Versus Force. And so if we think about what we can do with force, there's only so much we can do. But if we have if we have an intention around power and it's and, and the kindness and being present, it, it's unbelievable how accomplished that we can never do with force. It's just it won't work. It's like a wall that's in front of you. You can run into that thing. You can pound on that's it's this concrete wall, all this force you're inflicting. Or maybe you sit there and all the power is being present and realizing, oh, there's a door three feet to the left. 
and you just walk through it. But you got to be present, and that's where the power is. Next term, you are a financial mentor. What does that mean? It means I'm a guide. It means that I know that you are smart enough and good enough and have this intense power that we need to tap into. The The worst thing that I could ever be is a financial advisor and telling you what to do. The, the problem with that is it keeps you weak because you're always relying on me. And it's why I don't like our current system of finance and advisors and, and how people hand off their money and they hand off their, their hope. They end up smoking a bunch of hopium and that's their strategy. I, it, I, I don't buy into that. I say, you know what? You're in charge. I'm going to help you build that muscle because if I help you build the muscle and I guide you to that space where you've got the muscle built, the confidence muscle, then you're going to be free because you don't need me anymore. You've got the ability to go out and you believe in yourself to go out and create whatever it is. That's the shift. That's the difference between a financial mentor and somebody that's an advisor that you're going to keep for forever. That person doesn't actually get you strong enough to be on your own or to be able to lead a team. They actually always need you to be reliant on them. Believe in that. Last term, and this is uh, one of your business creations. Um, what is Yokito? Yokito is is a blend of yoga and an aikido. Uh, Yokito is me. Yokito is is a it's a way of being. It's a way of simplicity and being present and and being focused on 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 connection more than anything. There's three pillars of Yokito. There's there's connection, relationship, and power. And 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 really the the power is in the relationship, which is based on connection. And if, if we think about our lives, there's very little that most people could come up with that is deeply more valuable than the connection with other human beings. So Yokito is the practice of that. It's understanding tension. It's understanding relationship and being able to guide people. And the, the premise of Aikido by itself is the loving protection of all things. So when you start bringing in yoga into that, it, it takes you into a deeper state of presence because the breath is the, is the core. And so we breathe into something that's different. It's the present connection and, and it's the ability to live without just going through motions, where it's, which, which is what most people do. They're just going through motions and they're getting old. Well, that's not why we're here. And so this practice of Yokido is about actually being present and living our lives on purpose. How important is community to you in navigating success from the standpoint of making an impact the way you view life now and navigating failure? I, I think community is, is second only to mission. And, and sometimes when you have a mission, uh, every kind of everybody or everything see, thinks you're maybe crazy at, at sometimes, you know, they, they, with community though, the, the thing is we've got community, whether we, whether we choose it or whether we are intentional about it, we've got influences and we become in large part a reflection of these influences in the community. So you can create one or you can say, well, I've got a family and I've got people that are my neighbors. And the, the danger is that you will become them just like I did. I became the people that were around me in my 20s. I became very wealthy and I also became them in other ways. I became their health which almost killed me because they were unhealthy. I became their ethics and morals, or I would probably say their lack of ethics and morals, the people I was around. And and so in reflection, I thought, okay, conscious community is a different way of approaching things. And what happens is it helps to support you on that mission that you've got. So if you want to do something impactful, if you want to have a big impact on the world, then, then the, the community is part of that process. Without a community, 
we're just not we're not strong enough to be an island it's not how we're it's not how we're built and and there's this exponential leverage of a community that supports you and quite honestly if you look at the statistics you live longer with a healthy community that you're a part of so if you actually want to add years to your life community is is fundamental and and non-negotiable fought that for a long time damien but me too yeah what good in your life today exists that would not have existed without the earning and losing of your fortune in your 20s? The, the people that, that I'm connected to now, there is a deep level of truth and transparency and candor and growth in those relationships that did not exist 10, 15 years ago when I was making all the money and I was driving the fast cars and, and doing that whole thing. The, I'm, I'm also very clear on the people that should not be in my life, the people that are that are scarcity-minded. Uh, there's an example of, of somebody that I'm in a way phasing out of my life, and it's more of just saying, okay, I'm, I'm going to let this person go because he's chosen to be part of the CNN culture. Everything is a crisis. Everything is breaking news, and we need to be we need to be negative. Well, I don't, I don't buy into that. So I'm clear that he violates my values, and and he's going to, he's going to be a negative influence on me accomplishing this mission that I'm on, which is not an option. So I'm really, really clear on who is in my life, who I'd like to have in my life, and when I say no, thank you, you're not allowed to be in my life. How do you, how do you continue to be kind and to love people? who you value because I know you value people without letting their toxicity kind of rub off on you. Cause you're right. It's important, but that's tough to navigate. How do you, how do you do that? We have to be willing to love people from afar and, and send them blessings and, and not go right into their ball of chaos and negativity it's it's hard. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not going to say this is easy when you you push away. Especially sometimes we have spouses and things, and they have maybe they have a family that they insist on us being a part of. And sometimes it creates fun. the 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 truth is that if you've got the right people around you that are supportive of you and your mission and and this optimistic outlook on life, you're going to get enough support from them if if it's if you don't have it inside you to put those boundaries up and really keep the other stuff away. It's not easy, but it's it's literally critical. If if you don't do this, you're going to become the people that you're around. And if you want a toxic life, go find toxic people. Yeah, that's hard, and it's not an option, really, is it? It's it's not an option if you want a life on purpose. If you want a default life, by all means, go find the the plutonium infused people. I mean, they're around; they're kind of in every direction. But if you don't want that life, you have to choose something different. And sometimes, and this is this is really what it means to change your environment and to change your habits, because your habits and behaviors become who you are. It's 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 what you have. It's it's the life that you live. So, what are your habits and behaviors in terms of connecting with people? Who are those people? What's going on? Um, if you actually ask that question and you say, "Well, what is really true?" and the truth is, it's comfortable. It's like an abusive relationship where people are in these things, and it's comfortable. They know they're not going to die. It might hurt. They might get beat up, but they stay there because at least it's predictable. And and we stay in a lot of things because it's predictable even though it's a bad idea. Yeah. Speaking of habits, what is one habit that you must 
do every single day in order to live this life of intention? You got to make your bed. You got to make your bed. Um, it's there's a great speech by Admiral William McRaven, the Chancellor at UT, and he wrote a book called "Make Your Bed." It's funny. I'm right now we're we're talking, and I'm in a a hotel, and I made my bed this morning, and I do that every morning. It's part of my rituals, and when you do that, it starts your day off right. The alternative is you grab your phone and you check your email and you check CNN, which is what most people are, or I guess, or Facebook, and you just get sucked into all this other stuff. You're not starting with a win. You're starting with a warning for what's about to blow up in the world, and it's incredibly dangerous to start off on that foot. Whereas if you make your bed and then I, I go from there to my morning miracle, the Hal Elrod book with, with the different things like meditating – but it always starts with making my bed. I know how my day starts, and it's already a win. So no matter what happens, the bed is ready for me at night, and I feel like I'm accomplishing something, and every single person on the planet can do it. What's your best writing habit as a guy who's written, what, three books, four books? Uh, on number eight this year. Eight? Yeah, yeah. Wow. So what, how, how do you get that done? Uh, you, you know, there's it's a little bit at a time. It's one of the the habits I have. I've got something called a ten year journal, and and I used to struggle actually writing in a journal. So now I've got this habit of of writing, and it's almost every day. If I miss a day, I do both days, and and it's because it's simple. It's four lines per day, which is another thing. If you can make your bed, you can you can write four lines every day. So I'm in the habit of writing, and I'm always taking notes. So if you want to write a book. Just find lots of ways to throw your ideas on the wall or or different places, and eventually you have a big pile of stuff that you can form into a book, and that's kind of that's, – that's how you do it. Brian Tracy made a comment one time that his last book, he sat down and wrote for a week, and he had a book. That is not real for most of the population, and, and so just taking – having a place where you can throw your ideas down, you find that over a period of time, it might be a year or two, you've got something that's a book. When, when Chris and I wrote Reinvented Life – we wrote that because we had piles of ideas and notes. We didn't really care as much whether somebody read the book as that we did that it needed to get out of us. We needed to gestate and birth this thing. And we, we, we came up with something because of that intention that we were really proud of. And it was fascinating because people would come to us and say, I got your book. I remember one gal saying, your book has been by my bed and I use it as a reference guide. And I thought, wow. That's that's like sacred real estate. Somebody, the book that somebody has next to their bed that they pull and reference, and and it just it shows me that the the pain of, of writing a book and the struggle and the time and energy is worth it when somebody has that that experience. And even if it's just you that has that experience that you can reference your own learnings, it's enough. And reinvented life is is basically the handbook on navigating a reboot, right? It's totally the handbook. It's it's the, the what I find. There's a lot of books that either tell you how to do things or it's a story. And what Chris and I did is we merged our stories so that we we came up with these ten these ten pieces. The first half, the first five, were the internal process because you've got to start internally if you're going to reboot, and then the external stuff. You can't just go and say I'm going to change my my physical body if you're not willing to look at your belief systems about how you are physically and mentally. So we started with the first five, and we said what what was our experience in re rebooting. And and we we shared those stories, and some of those are very intense. Somebody actually said, reading your book was like watching an episode of Breaking Bad. And I said, I, is that good? That sounds 
scary. He said it is scary. You're reading your book is scary, like what you went through. And it also gives you the process so you can use our experience and leverage off of it because some of our stuff is not an example to do. It's a warning for what not to do. And so this gives you those that process and, and a lot of questions and a lot of a lot of work. So this book is not a Harry Potter novel. It is work and it will change you if you'll allow it to to help you. On on the book vein, uh, what book would you recommend for someone who is navigating a reboot? And it's okay if it's one of yours. You've talked about a lot of books on this interview. That's that's one of the best things that that we can do is spend a lot of time with other people in in terms of reading their their books. We we get to spend it's an intimate uh, behind the scenes look at a lot of people and and their their philosophies. Uh, one of the best books I've ever read was was Principles by Ray Dalio, the uh, the founder of Bridgewater, and it was a business and life book. Really helped me understand things from a from the perspective of somebody that's in in his sixties has built a four many billions of dollars and the struggle and the process and how he looks at things like inheritance, for example, fascinating thing. He doesn't believe in giving his kids money necessarily. He believes in in the idea that he wants to make sure that they've got health care and they've got an education and and then it's up to them. And just learning from him based on these principles that are really hardened in stone and it's how he he lives his life. And he's always thinking about is what I'm doing violating my principles or is it in alignment? And it helped me to start asking better questions about my principles and the decisions I was making. So I love, I love that book. It's a very big book. If you want something that you can use immediately, easy one is the one thing by Gary Keller because it'll get you narrowly focused on the one thing, that one domino that's going to start all the other dominoes. If you're trying to hit 20 dominoes at once, hey, you only have two hands. You got to find the one domino and use both hands. Yeah, I love, I love that book. I'm about. 30 minutes away from being done with it on my audio book. And I want to respect your time. We're about out of time. Um, uh, you are eager to talk to a lot of different people navigating a lot of different types of reboots. So how does one get in touch with you if they want to talk to you about um, yoga or a keto or um, financial um, mentorship how, how does somebody get in touch with you and get in touch with your books the the the, the best way to reach me is is damianlupo.com i i purposefully land all my stuff who i am the the different places where you can connect with me whether it's linkedin or facebook or whatever they're all there there's one central point and it, that's on purpose because it's too confusing it's it's kind of a way for me to keep organized with my life and for for you if you want to connect with me in a certain place for a certain reason, you're going to find that thing on that on that one site. So I'm trying to make it easy for other people because if, if, with my mission, this is part of my mission to impact and free a million people. I need to make sure it's easy for them to understand what tool or how to grab that thing from me. If it's chaos, they're going to just stay in chaos. So it's it's a simplified place for people to go just to that one website. Well, as we're finishing up this interview, I get to go check my post office and hopefully find a couple of books, and I'll be eager to dive into them before we actually um, air this episode, and I'm grateful for the opportunity to um, spend more time getting to know you and your story, Damien. Thank you so much. I appreciate the opportunity to be here and, and to share with, with you and everybody that's listening, and uh, I'm grateful for the work you're doing, so thank you for having me. Thank you, Damien. 
What a pleasure to share Damien's story and his insights into what it takes to live life well, how to approach failure and success, and the importance of having the right people in our lives so that we're living the kind of life we say is important to us. Really enjoyed Damien's book, Reinvented Life. There are links to that book in the show notes at rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode 27. Plus, we'll have links to all of the books Damien referenced and to the now famous Make Your Bed speech from former Admiral William McRaven. It's uh, actually retired admiral, not former. Uh, anyway, he gave this speech to the University of Texas, Austin in 2014. And uh, I, I think it's interesting what people were expecting from a special forces warrior and commander. Um, wasn't make your bed, but it's a, it's a terrific speech. I watched it recently. Um, and so thanks, Damien, for pointing that out. Again, the show notes are at rebootspodcast.com forward slash episode 27. I'm Tracy Wenchel, and we'll see you next time. Deo Valente.